One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is That's Tears on Your Visor. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners, so let's be friends. Welcome to the Spanish Race Review. I woke up this morning genuinely excited to see F1 back on a proper track, and in my opinion, Barcelona didn't disappoint. All up and down the field, cars were able to pass. There was some field spread, but that was not Barcelona's fault. Once again, I've been proved right. All chicanes are rubbish. Well done to F1 for listening to Missed Apex podcast and well done for restoring the final sector of this great Barcelona racetrack. There was also the first proper round of upgrades in the 2023 season. So coming up, we'll discuss was Spanners right all along about what the final pecking order of cars would be once we got settled into the season. Will anyone threaten Verstappen at the top? And what happened to Ferrari? We are checking. And more on this siesta-free episode of Missed Apex Podcast. That is an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first, like Andrew Roberts was, who provided that show title. I'm joined in the shed by Matt Two Rumpets. Hello, Matt. Predictable. Entirely predictable. Really? How so? Well, the Mercedes chassis, of course, and that is going to be huge for them going forward because that's been one of their biggest issues to date. I think Mercedes could do with some predictability. And speaking of predictable, here's old Chris Stevens. How's it going, Chris? 
Hey, Spanners. I mean, what a miserable season. The cars can't race each other. And then the boo-hoo. No, you just need to get them on a proper racetrack. It feels like this was the start of the season. That's how I feel. Yeah, genuinely. This feels like round two. See, yeah, like season B, if yeah. you like. D- At- 2023.2. We could do that. And we're also joined by internationally renowned sim streamer. It's Scott Stuffy Tuffy. How's it going, Scott? Hey, all good. I echo your thoughts, Spanners. Let's remove all chicanes from the remainder of the season and it will provide us with some great racing. Forever. Yeah, so that's the first topic I think today is thinking about how the, the chicane affected the Barcelona track. So I think we've been calling for it for years. But Chris, the main objection uh, in mm. years gone by was that MotoGP wouldn't be able to survive if we did this layout. What? No, I mean, well, MotoGP stuck around on the old layout far, far longer than Formula One um, ever did. Uh, I think for Formula One, it was done on sort of safety grounds. And I think the idea was as well to promote like better racing. The idea is it would bunch the cars up and in practicality, it never really worked and has proven today the racing was far better with the old configuration of the last two corners being super fast uh, right handers. Uh, and I think w- what's allowed that to happen is the improvements in in not just the, the car safety, but also circuit safety. So we now have a solution that works for bike racing and car racing. Everybody wins. And see, Stuffy, it's not 1995 anymore. As Matt was saying in the Patreon podcast, you know, we, we probably don't need all of those safety chicanes anymore. No, exactly. And you think you've got the halo, the just general technology has improved dramatically. And these cars provide considerable more downforce and grip than they've ever done in their history of formula one so yeah it was it was lovely to see a nice free flowing last sector that allowed the cars to stay close together with the alteration to turn 10 as well no longer a tight left hander a bit more free flowing that um yeah cars were able to stick close and go side by side uh, down into the first corner Yeah, well, I just want to get in on that and point out that in particular with this regulation set, the faster the cars are going, the more downforce they are making. So medium high to high speed turns are actually going to be better in terms of following than slow speed, where we have essentially a wildly unbalanced SUV that can barely get (laughs) around the corner with the amount of uh, lock that they put into current F1 cars. So yeah, the more chicanes we lose now, especially here, the better off the racing should be. Well, like, I know I joked about it at the start of the show, but genuinely, the problem so far this season has been the rubbish circuits that we've been racing on. Spain is only the second proper yep. purpose-built racetrack yep. that F1 has raced on all season. It's all been these new street tracks, or some of them old, that have provided less than brilliant races and just like last year we've been complaining about the quality of the races and the fact that these new regulations don't work or whatever no you just need them on a proper (laughs) racetrack and we got more action in those first 15 laps than we've had in the entire season since bahrain yeah so we had bahrain as a proper racetrack the rest have been temporary tracks so i mean you can see the negotiations so if you're negotiating with miami they do want to be up front near the front of the sea the season if you're Maybe you go to Las Vegas and you say, well, you're going to be right near the end of the season. So I'm not a fool. I understand how the money works. But I think in an ideal racing world, if you're going to have destination tracks, and I think there is a place for Miami, Las Vegas and Singapore, 
No, I didn't say Monaco. Well, that review went okay, didn't it, with Jono? We'll do that every year. But uh, there's, a, there's a place for them, but scatter them in. Understand that your product does suffer in one respect when you go to those destination tracks. And, and I think if they were race 7, 12, and 18, I think less people would complain. But let's kick off the season every year at Barcelona. Scott, even, oh, Scott, even if it means starting the season in, what, what are we in now? Even if it means starting the season in May and ending it in February. Yeah, and I think what the proper circuits or traditional circuits provide is um, a wider opportunity for different strategies to yep. come into play. And since Bahrain, even though that was a borderline two-stop, we haven't seen that been on offer since the start first race of the year. And Barcelona, well, there was an opportunity. It was great to see Pirelli chuck out their preferred strategies as an aggressive free stopper, even being an opportunity. Only one team took advantage of that today. But it was when have we ever seen a free stopper? It feels like forever since that's even been a, a genuine, viable yeah. option. A genuine. And that's and that's what the fast free flowing uh, traditional circuits, which we're now heading into, like the European swing, provide rather than the temporary street tracks for tyre degradation that Pirelli understandably have been critical of them but understandably are a bit cautious because if something goes wrong there's just concrete walls either side and there's no room for error these circuits are prepared for these cars and these races and it was uh yeah really good to see today Uh, i do want to just add in in slightly in pirelli's defense here an awful lot of the circuits we have also been to this season have been almost entirely or mostly resurfaced. And we have learned from Sochi onwards that that um, positively, I guess, affects tire wear, meaning the tire can go longer on new asphalt than on old. And so I think we were seeing the worst possible uh, outcomes at a lot of these street tracks as the asphalt wears in, as the micro and macro textures grow. It could be that we move back towards two stops there and the races get a little more strategically interesting. Wait, wait, wait. I specifically said, okay, can we just chill on the tire talk this week? And you've gone straight into track composition. Just like yes. a, just like a, a I did tantrum, exactly what you asked. Like a tantrum child. Like, oh, 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 you want me to eat my dinner? Fine, I'll eat all the dinners. Chris, I beg your pardon. I went to the wrong person. But what I would like to say is enough on the chicane chat for the minute. We will do a show on the 11th and we will discuss exactly which of the chicanes we should get rid of. Because I have a list of, well, all of them. But I think the big news this week has to be those Mercedes upgrades. Big Dirty News. Okay, well, if you're a neutral, then for the good of the sport, you, I'm sure, have been hoping for some kind of challenge from the rest of the field. And it feels like we've had an agonising few weeks of seeing if these Mercedes upgrades would deliver anything. And it looks like, I think we can say conclusively, that they have done at least something, but we were denied it in Imola. We couldn't really see what was going on in Monaco, but the faces of the team in silver did seem to be a little bit more upbeat. Lewis Hamilton was smiling. And in Barcelona on Friday, yeah, it looked a little bit sketchy, but it developed throughout the weekend, Matt. But oh, on Friday, Matt, there was doom and gloom, wasn't there, among the Merck Fossey? Uh Yeah, there was. <laughs> much, to, um, much to everyone's entertainment, the moment they hit the track, 
laden with test gear and FP1 and weren't immediately almost as fast as Max. Everyone who was a fan was like, it's a failure. It's over. The season is over. The world is over. The entirety of the universe is coming to an immediate I saw end. those tweets. And yet, there were those who said, well, you know, it's a brand new update. It's their first trip to a track where they can actually have validation for their concept. Probably they're just doing a lot of testing. And let's not forget, Mercedes has become very practiced at optimizing things over the Friday night into the Saturday. So maybe we should just hold off on the doom and gloom the slightest bit. Yep. It didn't safe to say a few individuals who will not be named in our group chats it was were, brad it was brad philbert <laughs> were very uh critical and worried after seeing the lap times on friday and myself included with you matt we were like calm down they're probably just gathering data they're, they're just trying to find out if these upgrades actually do what they want regardless of everyone around them but lewis did look very worried and a little bit downbeat on Friday, um, and if we know he wears his heart on his sleeve, and that kind of did warrant some of the worries that Mercedes fans had, uh, myself included. But something seemed to switch overnight, and it's been uh, known afterwards that Mick Schumacher was back at the factory in the simulator. They worked long into the night to sort out something, whether it be setup and mechanical changes, and they came out firing on the Saturday, FP3, and then in qualifying, well, yeah, Lewis, other than kind of contact with his own teammate and uh, a, a mistake, a couple no, of driving no. errors, I think, on the last lap, would have been would have been easily P2. Okay, sorry, that. you've mentioned it now, so whatever point Chris was about to make, <laughs> it has to wait as we play. Whose fault is it? Whose fault is it? Oh, my goodness. Shadows of Barcelona 2016 when Nico Rosberg had engine mode problems and just unceremoniously shoved Lewis Hamilton off the track into the barrier. And if you want a bit of balance, Lewis Hamilton 100% kept his foot in to make sure that if he was going down, Nico Rosberg was sure as hell going down with him. What was that incident in Q2, Chris? Right. So to answer the question straight away, this is uh, an issue with the, I think the engineers not uh, collaborating or Wrong. letting their drivers know about the track position of, of the cars around them, which happened to be their teammates on this occasion, because Russell, before even that moment, had already like swung across before the final corner in front of Lewis, right when they're both uh, about to start their flying lap. So they were already way too close to each other. And Russell gets a rubbish exit out the last corner for whatever reason, moves over to the right to try and sneak a, a little slipstream off the slowing Ferrari, I think it was, in front of him. And then Lewis has got the massive double toe coming at him like a rocket ship with the fact that Russell had the bad exit and with effectively a double slipstream. And so Russell's moving over to the right and Lewis thinks, oh, he's backing out of the lap and letting me through. Great. What fantastic teamwork we've done there. I've got a great toe and now I'm going to have clean air for the rest of my lap. When Russell suddenly goes, oh, I need to take the line into turn one. Oh, my teammates alongside me. How did that happen? Yeah, well, I just want to say this is an, uh, entirely, this is one of those things where you just have to assume Russell wasn't aware that Lewis was behind him and wasn't simply trying to get over to that line before Lewis got there. Because remember, of the two of them, 
Russell was the one that was not making it into Q3 at that point. And Russell is the one whose entry to his final lap to make Q3 was absolutely spoiled by people finishing their lap. And this weekend, he was not the only person to get hung out to dry by traffic they didn't know was coming. I think if we really, as we like to do here, put blame on someone, uh, not be neutral, I think you would probably put a little bit more fault on Lewis because I don't know if anyone ever has given a toe to their teammate with the DRS fully open. Um, I could be completely wrong there, but he's, you are, yeah. I know Lewis has got the, the overdrive there, but there must be an instant thinking, well, hang on a second. My teammate's got his DRS open. I know it's a long straight down Barcelona. Why is he not, why is he not backing out of this or, or moving over to let me buy? And yeah, it was, uh, it was quite <laughs> funny wow. to see. So you're from the Rosberg uh, school of things. <laughs> No, I'm just, I'm just saying, if it, I'm a big Hamilton mm. fan, I'm a big George fan. Uh, quite, quite understandably, you can see why Lewis thought he was going to be let by because George was so slow out of the, the final sector. Um, but yeah, in these cars, I think what people don't realise as well is that there is a severe lack of visibility in these cars to previous iterations. And while even though they're going down a main straight, they can't see certain things on their right hand side or left because of the wheels. Lewis probably didn't see Carlos Sainz, I think it was, who George was tucking mm. in behind. And it's just these cars, yeah. I mean, they're going, think how quickly they're going with the DRS. Oh, Scott, Scott, point. Scott, I've got to stop you that. There's a few points there that I, I maybe people missed because it definitely was missed like on the broadcast. But uh, Russell had let Sainz by between turns 13 and 14. So that had already messed up his entry. So he was all but, he was all but done. And, and that was proved by the fact that he was able to continue his Q2 attempt to get through to Q3 and, and wasn't able to make it. Um, so he was already toast the second he'd had to let signs by. And then Hamilton was just taking a normal exit and, and he wasn't trying to overtake. He wasn't going for a gap. But if you've got that much of an overspeed, then obviously the person in front, their, their lap is toast, Matt. So really, like Russell only had, had the choice between... Uh, going alongside and shutting the door, and that would let him have an attempt at getting into Q3, or he had the choice to go side by side and he'd have to back off, and he's definitely out. Honestly, I just don't buy it. I think Russell suddenly realised Hamilton was closing in on him, and I think he shut the door, because that's the only outcome where he would get a shot at Q3. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think that is a plausible conclusion, and I do have to admit, I appreciate Scott being our pain sponge here stepping in and standing up for George. Uh, But the reality of that situation is he very much knew that Sainz was finishing a lap, and so he would be an obstacle on entry. He very much knew that his own start down that straight was massively compromised. What he didn't know by the team was that Lewis was that close behind him. And, you know, I, I could mention the word Gasly here, and I could suggest or ask the question, is it time for some kind of an automated system for drivers so they know who's on push laps and there's a GPS gap that's automatically given to them on their dashboard, regardless of what the team tells them? Okay, so the question I'd like to ask now is, uh, now that we've concluded that that was definitely George Russell's fault, I sorry, I just I can't see how it's Hamilton's fault. You know, he did. I think he did everything right. All you're saying is he's got to account for his teammate up front stuffing his final qualifying lap and just completely back out of it. 
Uh, but moving on to like Merck were pretty successful today. I think they were by far the second fastest team on on track. Chris, I think firstly we're right, aren't we? They were the second fastest team on track today, and secondly, Absolutely. why? Well, uh, brand new side pods, big side, side pods. pods. But it was the just... side pods all along. I told you, it's just side pods. <laughs> but it's not just side pods, though, is it, Spanners? There has been a modicum of updates to that car, which is usually quite a risky uh, strategy because when you bolt on a massive upgrade package onto the car that comprises of several different you know bits and bobs, if one of them isn't quite working, you don't the way know which you want one. It to, yeah. It's yeah, it's hard to identify. So he's like, "Oh, we got this problem. But which bit did we put on uh, that isn't quite working?" And that can take some time. But when you're Mercedes in the situation they're in, I think it was probably a risk worth taking. And boy, howdy, did it pay off? Because absolutely right, they were the second fastest uh, team. Hamilton probably could have put it on the front row uh, had he not made uh, that last mistake in in qualifying. Yeah. But then. But then also you have to consider there was no Perez, there was no Alonso in uh, Q3 for various other reasons um, as well. So take that with like the tiniest pinch of salt, I guess. Um, but yeah, absolutely. They are the, now the second fastest team, I think. And we'll see how it sort of pans out across the, the rest of the season because like it's, it's, it's really good us saying like, yes, Mercedes is another second best team um in in formula one cool uh, but this could be a oh. race by race basis but what's promising for them is that this is their first race on a entirely new concept and it's already massively quicker than Second. it was before and really you know strong so first, they can only move first proper here, race geez stop it stop <laughs> validating monaco stuffy yeah i think not to mention the dirty word um the taboo that is tires but mercedes today could have taken, I mean, you heard George Russell come on and even considered the one stop, which was kind of unthinkable at one point. But you look at their lap times, they were very close to, well, they were clearly the better of the rest compared to when you compare them to Ferrari. Um, something that they've struggled with is their tyre life. That's why Aston Martin have been a bit better than, than them early on in the season. Mm. Uh, we saw that quite considerably in Bahrain. And at a track where it's, if not the most demanding of the tyres all season, other than maybe Silverstone, other high-speed circuits, they were doing really well on those tyres. I expected them to pit a lot earlier on those soft tyres, considering Russell was on new and Hamilton was on used, and they both came on the radio again. They're good. The yeah, tyres are yeah, good. Yeah. Let's keep going. Um, I think that's where a massive gain has been uh, found for them. It just allows them to extract more performance. Matt? Uh, yeah, well, I just want to say that if you can look at Mercedes front suspension and tell me that it's the side pods, well, I have a bridge that I'd like to sell you. It's a massive redesign, not only of the aerodynamic concept, but as much of the mechanical concept as they can get away with. So what I want to say to Mercedes fans right now is don't forget, they're stuck with the chassis they came with this season. The full redesign is something we're not going to see until the start of next season. and look at how well they're already doing. And now we're going to talk about whether or not that Red Bull cost cap penalty ultimately causes them some pain at the start of next season and into the end of this season, because Mercedes has a lot more resource to be chasing down. Although they did, spoiler, pass Aston in the World Constructor Championship, so they won't quite have as much as they previously did. So 
if you were a content creator that had been to saying to everybody, look, this Aston Martin thing, it's going to be temporary. <laughs> and I was starting to look like a mug because we've got into race six and where was the Mercedes upgrade? So, yeah, we, we have been made to kind of sweat on this a little bit because this would have come out in, in Imola. And I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure, or, you know, the, the, the Occam's razor, the simplest thing to say is that they would have had this kind of baseline platform in Imola too. Uh, they looked much stronger in Monaco. They got to Barcelona, and and it's kind of delivered as expected. So I, I think this I think this is going to be the start of kind of quote unquote normal service being resumed. I, I would still expect now Mercedes to be behind, but catching Ferrari to be on their own in the middle, and for Aston Martin to just settle back into the top of the midfield. And I want to say up up top, if that happens, there is absolutely no disgrace in that. Remember, Aston Martin was is essentially the old Force India outfit. And it's the team that used to be pound for pound, dollar for points, absolutely the best team in Formula One. They could maximize an opening season package and you used to have interviews with Vijay Malaga every at the start of every season saying, oh, do you think you can keep this up throughout the season? And him going, no. And then they didn't. So for Aston Martin to make a really good start, have all that glory at the start of the season, and then learn from that and try and come back at the start of next season, that would still absolutely constitute a success. But certainly my pundit muscles, Chris, were twitching when we get to race (laughs) six and uh, and they're still up there in second. I still think that Aston can surprise at a few races. And I will never, ever, ever discount Fernando Alonso for something something special we've still got so long left in this season I think I think possibilities are endless Uh, so what I want to discuss here is the bifurcation of the Aston race pace namely into it I think we have to look at Alonso in an Aston as a separate entity to Lance in an Aston I think Alonso in an Aston will be a thorn in the side of Mercedes pretty much for the remainder of the season. I mean, we certainly saw on his outlaps on the hard tire how fast Alonso was going relative to everybody, even the people at the front at that time. It was fast. I I wouldn't write Aston off as a competitor with Mercedes. I think they're going to bounce a little bit between being second, being third, Mm -hmm. Uh, the rest of the season. I think Mercedes will win on consistency, and I think because they have two drivers that are very closely paired in pace. Okay, so I'd like to get carried away on the hype train that this is the beginning of Mercedes marching their way onto a 2024 title push. So let's just pour some like cool water over that. Um, disregarding Ferrari for the moment, sorry Tafosi, we will unfortunately get to Ferrari at some point in the show. And I can hear the Tifosi going, no, 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 it's okay. Don't, don't worry about it. But we will. We absolutely will. So just taking Mercedes versus Aston Martin as our, our start point, I think we've got a few caveats. So Maria's asking in our Patreon live chat, and I'll put this to Stuffy. Stuffy, could the cool temperatures have flattered Mercedes? Um, possibly. Cooling is obviously an element that the teams do need to be um, worrisome about. We know Ferrari always kind of struggle in the higher altitudes where temperatures rise considerably. But no, I don't think so today. I'm a, I mean, I'm just double-checking the strategy that Aston Martin ran. And they were the only team to go soft, soft, and then to the hards at the end. Um, and it doesn't seem like that strategy yeah. 
really played out too well for him. It didn't allow him to close up to Carlos Sainz or the top four whatsoever. So there could have been, while I think it was quite evident they were not on the pace of quite clearly no one is of Red Bull um, or Mercedes this weekend, they should have had an opportunity to get at Carlos Sainz in a struggling Ferrari. And I think they made a bit of a mistake in regards to their selection of tyres this weekend and the strategy they ran. Well, um, first of all, I want to agree with you. If anything, cold temperatures aren't going to help Mercedes because remember their issue with tire warm-up in the opening laps of the race. Mercedes has been extremely good always on tire management in races. It's been one of their strong points, even when they were struggling with the predictability of the car, which has now gone away. So we see a much better expression of the potential of this concept. With regard to Aston, I will disagree with you, however. I think soft, soft, hard was an excellent way for them to go because it allowed them maximum attack early in the race when other people were having to manage more because they knew they weren't running long stints and they had more grip to get closer on corners and chase down on straights, which works for them with their slightly higher drag overall concept. Um, But you were looking at Stroll not attacking signs. I'm looking at Alonso going from 10th to 6th and clearly could have been 5th if he chose to be based on the lap times I saw. And I'm thinking that's a pretty good recovery for an Aston under these circumstances. I agree with you, Matt. I think Aston's whole weekend was compromised the minute Alonso went into the gravel uh, on the opening lap in qualifying. And that was on his out lap as, as well. I think he just hit like a damp patch or something because the rain was sort of lingering um, right at the start of qualifying. And I think that floor damage initially was probably worth around eight, nine tenths uh, per lap. And then by the time they got round to the final lap in Q3, the repairs they'd been able to do maybe got it down to about four tenths or something like that. And then supposedly it should have been fixed by the time the race got around, maybe not operating at 100%. Um, but obviously that then puts you out of position and it's not the it's still not the easiest track to overtake on. It's better than it's been in the past, but mm. still not the easiest. And I think had he been further up the order, we might have seen a slightly more competitive fight between Alonso one handed against the two Mercedes. And this is it. And this is where Mercedes really do have a, an advantage over the other teams. So if it was out and out a constructors championship, and, and um, you know most most championships scenarios, you would say. I want that Mercedes pairing because the Aston Martin driver lineup looks particularly weak and particularly vulnerable. So Alonso has an off weekend, goes through the gravel, causes some damage. He's not there. Look how poor the Aston Martin suddenly looks. So what if that wasn't Alonso? What if that was Vettel? What if that was Sirotkin? You know, you can make (laughs) a team look very, very bad by not having a premium driver content uh, lineup. They say, you know, drivers make no difference in F1, Chris. But, but we're seeing it now. If Alonso has a yeah. bad weekend, Aston Martin have a bad weekend. To the point that most people are now saying they're the fourth fastest car. Obviously, seeing a, a representative Alonso weekend will give us a better idea of their actual performance. Yeah, and especially against a team like Mercedes, who has, in my opinion, the best driver lineup in, in Formula One right now. So, Not to say, uh, Stuffy, that, uh, that Stroll is a mug. Uh, that move on lap one... And kind of stalking, being patient up the top of the hill, pretty good. Yeah, I mean, Lance Stroll has got ability. He has got a racing pedigree. He has, he's not there 
well, we know why he's there because uh, his daddy owns the team. But he has got some racing chops. But the it is quite clearly being shown that Alonso is outperforming him. And as you say, if he if Alonso has a bad weekend, Lance isn't there to step up when the, Alonso is having a bad qualifying or makes the odd mistake. Um, and the other teams have that, arguably not um, Red Bull in regards to uh, Perez this weekend. But yeah, it's uh, especially against Mercedes with George's start, which was phenomenal this weekend. I think he made up four places on the first lap and was one of the highlights of the races. And, and, like, he, and you're, he not, did, and you're not seeing not he, seeing Lance Stroll no. ever do that as technically the number two driver. Well, um, to be fair, Lance Stroll did make all the corners. So whereas Russell didn't bother <laughs> Matt. Low bar, low bar. Okay, so uh, we can go to the Russell thing in a second. But if I am going to be defending Lance Stroll, I do believe he gained two places in the first lap. His Achilles heel Sorry. ahead of a certain Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> Was you that sarcastic welcome. applause? Yeah. Yeah, just um, sorry. But, but, but his Achilles heel and the reason why uh, Aston's race at the front rapidly devolved into keeping him ahead of Ocon is simply his tire management is just not great. It never has been. And it's the one area of his racecraft that, if he improved, would massively help the team out. And in fairness, Stroll's had a couple of punchy opening laps, isn't he? Remember the one in Jeddah where he just nailed someone right around the outside? Did the same to Lewis Hamilton, just casually round the outside of a seven-time world champion. It hasn't been there all the time, of course. And in defense of Russell as well, I think he'd made up those places before they actually got to turn one. And he still did the the correct thing, the thing you're supposed to do, going through the little escape road and around the bollard. But I'll probably talk about that later as well, because I hate the fact that there's just such an easy runoff area at that corner because every single year we see somebody go side by side in there and then and then just decide to bail out the corner. I think this is the thing with Stroll is that we see glimpses and we have done throughout his career the the odd podium with Williams, but he's had ample opportunity in F1 now. Is it his fifth or sixth year? And he's just doesn't do it consistently enough for a race distance and if he didn't as we say kind of quite often if his dad didn't own the the uh the team he probably would have been out of a seat a long time ago but um he's got a nice uh fernando alonso with him this year uh not fernando alonso of old letting him keep hold of positions so look, zero threat exactly well, if if we're in the midst of the Lance Stroll fan club competition, um, maybe not so much for his actual driving. I will hand it to him that when they interviewed him after qualifying and said, how does it feel to beat your teammate? His immediate response was, well, he had massive floor damage. So I don't think that's relevant in the slightest. So whatever we can say about his racing on track, as a person, he's being annoyingly hard to dislike. Okay, and then if we, well, I know we're flip flopping between uh, Mercedes and Aston Martin here, but uh, to see Lewis Hamilton there fighting at the top, I, I do think if you look at the ultimate pace, it looked like Lewis Hamilton could have completely disregarded where Max Verstappen was, and he was racing as if he was managing a lead for like the non Verstappen race win. Matt? Uh, yeah, I would agree with you. In fact, I, I would think that the movie we're just discussing with Stroll getting ahead of him early on 
very rapidly put paid to any dreams Mercedes might have had of, of having a closer gap to Max. And once those were gone, the only thing they cared about was the podium position for Hamilton finishing second. And they did a wonderful job of managing the tires and the car, Lewis and the team, to get him there. But no, I don't think we saw Mercedes' absolute pace there. And I would say the same for Max at the front. We did not see his absolute pace um, during the race. I think they could have gone faster as well. His off tracks, notwithstanding. <laughs> uh, do, we, do we want to talk about the off track stuff? What you said first. I was just going to say in regards to outright pace, I'm just looking at the fastest laps of the race. Max got fastest lap with a 16.3, and then it was Perez with a 16.6, and Lewis Hamilton only 100th behind. So definitely pace in that Mercedes and with Hamilton. It was a good race by him. He caught up signs a couple of times and overtook him on track. Really confident. Mm. You could tell that he, uh, he had a glow on his face after the race and after qualifying as well compared to Friday. That's one of the interesting things. So I'm watching the live timings with the mini sectors and uh, Verstappen sets his fastest lap. And then you think, well, that's that. So I think it's telling that Mercedes even thought they could go for the fastest lap. They were all on similarly aged tyres. I think Verstappen had slightly newer tyres than Hamilton. But suddenly, yeah, the purple mini sectors were flashing up. And I was like, oh, he's going for it. He's going for it. And he wasn't far off. But I think that really shows how much they're managing, you know, during that phase. Well, yeah, completely. But I also think it shows up the difference right now between the Mercedes and the Red Bull. If we flash back to Saturday's qualifying, we have Lewis saying things like, man, this car is still hard to drive. I think the Mercedes on light fuel at the absolute margin is still a bit of a handful. But when we slow down to race pace, which is what they have clearly been optimizing this car for, as because now we can follow, we can pass, qualifying doesn't matter as much. On race base, I'm very interested to see how much development gets them and how close it gets them to Red Bull by, let's say, by the time we get to Brazil, for example. From a driver's point of view, Lewis Hamilton had contact with Lando Norris, but... Whose fault is it? Okay, Chris, I actually, on first view, I thought this was a bit rude by Lewis Hamilton. It looked like he was aiming to go around the outside of uh, Carlos Sainz into turn two, trying to have the inside on the long sweeping turn three, realised it wasn't on, ducked in behind a slowing Sainz and caught out Lando Norris. What do you think? I think this is Max Verstappen's fault. Yes. And this is not going to win me any favours, is oh, actually, it? actually, no, but it's a good point. <gasps> I didn't even think of this. Yes, go on then, let's it's, do it. Oh, it's all the butterfly effect, dear, because Sainz has got a mega run here on Max Verstappen and thinks, I'm going to take the lead of my home race, send that crowd going wild, right? But Verstappen did exactly what he did two years ago against Lewis Hamilton, where he just edges over to the edge of the, the track and go, no, 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 you are not getting around the outside of me and forces Sainz to back up, right? So then he has to sort of check up and take the slow line through two. And Hamilton, upon seeing that, go, ah, if I undercut him, that I can get the better exit and nail him around the outside of three, maybe, or get him, you know, at least alongside or something like that. But Norris has still kind of just got his nose ever so slightly alongside him. So it's just, it's a kind of a concertina effect. And, you know, I would, I would say complete racing incident, but you want me to put a, uh, a name 
No, you want me to put a name to it. So it's uh, it all starts with Verstappen pushing science wide. Love it. Okay, so I asked, whose fault was it, Hamilton or Norris? And you say Verstappen. Scott, stuffy toughy. Uh, yeah, the, the Verstappen incident is a discussion that we can have a little bit. Um, I totally agree with Chris. But in that incident, I do think it's Norris's fault. I, I just think regardless if there is a slight check up there from Lewis... There's not enough room and not enough of an overdrive. He's not far enough alongside to kind of warrant his car being there. And that's why he's front right um, wing that catches Lewis's back tyre. And I think it's just a bit of an, a bit of a, a brain fart really in that instance that has unfortunately cost him a, a very lonely day at the back of the pack. Um, if he was just a little bit more cautious and didn't look yeah. at maybe the inside because yeah. he would have had to get up on the curb anyway and he didn't have that drive he would have been um in this race for the long run take carlos Sainz's kind of outlook on it he could have hung it around the outside while i have thought of the long game i don't want to go out at t1 at my home circuit i want to finish this race and play the long game and hamilton was so lucky not to get a puncture from that because it was clearly enough to just tear the right side of norris's wing off how different would we be talking about Mercedes' pace? Would we be hailing them as the second fastest team if suddenly Lewis Hamilton were taken out of that race oh, no. uh, competitively at turn two? Ooh. Well, we would, because Russell would finish second. Yeah. Probably. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. so but in that incident there, like, I do, like, yeah, I, I like what, what Scott's saying, which is you have to leave a little bit of margin. And we talk about the driver's different approaches to uh, lap one. Norris is always aggressive, so he's going for it. And from p3 and he, he never thought in those interviews that he was giving pre-race that they could hang on to that and be p3 so he said i, I want to cling on so i can't really blame him for for fighting and trying to take every inch not wanting to get swamped in t1 and lose that position but ultimately yeah if he if he, you know that decision to to not leave any margin for any kind of checkup means that means that look he ended up near the back of the grid uh the verstappen versus signs one is interesting because it's 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 the commitment that Verstappen still has to do that kind of move to move to the outside, uh, Chris, because like the you know he was the one on the radio saying no. When you're alongside, you have to leave space and and into that braking zone. I mean, technically, by the time he got to the outside, there was nothing there because Signs had seen right now Verstappen's lifting off and definitely going to the outside. But you know, had Signs held his ground around the outside, I, I think all day long that's a collision. A hundred percent. Yeah, but that's why science backed out of it. Yeah. Okay, Matt. Well, I'm going to slightly disagree here, by which I mean entirely disagree. I think we saw Max drive to the outside of the corner because he saw signs backing off because signs is alongside as he was, wasn't alongside enough to compromise Max's line out of the exit. Carlos, as you say, sensibly, knew he wasn't really going to win that battle and figured he was better off making the long play. Max responded to that by taking full advantage on his exit, trying to get back up to the pace that he would have preferred to have driven through that turn. And then, as we said earlier, the fact that he didn't get all the way there resulted in Norris losing a big chunk of his front wing, which is, yeah, more or less on Norris. Hey. I disagree that he would have known signs was was there at that point. But 
I think why this is an interesting talking point is because a similar situation happened later on in the race with Yuki Tsunoda and Guan Yu Zhou, and Zhou didn't back out. Zhou hung it in where signs could have could have done, and while contact wasn't made, because Zhou pulled out of it and went, no, I'm going down the escape road because I want my race to continue, I can quite clearly see that he's going to drive into me here. There was a, then a penalty dished out, which was good to see from the stewards, I think, for too long, incidences like this, because there hasn't been a resulting accident or contact happening. The driver who's gone in very heavy-handed into these corners, driving people off circuit, has got away scot-free, whereas now that isn't the case. The Verstappen incident is because it's a first lap incident, and there's always a little bit of leeway there, I think. But yeah, uh, the Joe and Sonoda incident was uh, was interesting and has caused uh, a lot of discussion, to say the least. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Okay, so moving on to uh, Verstappen, since we're talking about uh, Red Bull. So we'll look at the, the Red Bull, Bull drivers' performances, and it's it's always very difficult to talk about a driver who's got a, a very dominant car. So this weekend, as opposed to last weekend, where they said, you know, the Q3, Sector 3, was an absolute miracle lap. It was the incarnation of uh, Ayrton Senna, uh, you know, and his, his ghost and some angels lifted him onto a rainbow to dance around Q3. When you have a dominant car, it isn't always like that. And I don't think he nailed his lap in qualifying. And I think he himself said, look, we have a, a lot of margin here. There was a couple of there was a couple of mistakes. They didn't get their tire strategy quite right in qualifying. Yet they were still like a good margin ahead. I think he was like 0.3 ahead, but people were saying, well, he, he could have easily been, you know, 0.6 ahead. But when you've earned that car advantage, which Red Bull have, and Max Verstappen has earned his place at the number one team in that, that happens. So that's the position you're in, but we don't have to pretend that it was a, a super stellar performance. When it comes to the race, he didn't have to do anything particular. 
at all today. So this is the kind of race where he was fully relaxed. At no point did he have to push. The only time he had to push really was uh, on his uh, on his attempt at the fastest lap, which he got. And then he complained a little bit that he was overheating the front tires when he was on the hards. Again, nothing that would affect race pace. What I did find interesting was the psychology of the interview with Christian Horner, where whereas all season he's been saying, "Oh, those teams, they're going to catch us any minute." No, 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 no. It's not domination. We are we're we're in immediate danger at any time. They were asked, you know, uh, Mercedes looked like they might catch up to you. He immediately said, well, we still won by 25 seconds. So the first time that he's been kind of defensive, I think, Stuffy, that there's a comfort zone that they've enjoyed, but they might be aware that oh, they just need to keep a little bit of an eye out. Yeah. in to add on to Horner's comment after the race, before the race, he said, the only thing that is going to cause us issues today is the weather, if the rain comes in. so. Yeah, a little bit of cockiness there or a little bit of reassurance that we're still top dogs while all the talk has been about Mercedes and Ferrari upgrades and other team upgrades. They're still there. Maybe, maybe behind the scenes, it's a, it's a little inkling that the cost cap might actually affect them later on in the season. Uh, and that's a first kind of showing of that, reiterating to the fans, to the media, yeah, no, we're still going to maintain this advantage to the end of the season. Um, but yeah, it was, it's intriguing psychology if uh, you look into that sort of stuff. I mean, there's always talk of uh, Red Bull going to win every uh, race this season because they've won every race so far uh, this season. Is Max going to have this championship wrapped up by August? He's so much faster than Perez. I mean, I would say Perez the last few races has really, really kind of dropped the ball uh, and is now really not looking like the championship contender. We thought he might have been a few races ago but i still think this is far from the most dominant f1 car we've even seen in the last 10 years let alone in in history what? because i think even if mercedes come on when Which, mercedes had on. the 2020 car for example that probably is the best formula one car that's ever been built and they somehow didn't manage to even win all the races or even get did they even get all the polls that year? so are you saying that this red well? bull isn't like a historically dominant F1 no, car. I'm saying it, it's oh. a. It's not the most dominant. Oh, okay, well, seen. that's a really high bar to be the most dominant car ever. Yeah, but in that's history. what everyone's everyone's treating it like. It yeah, is. but it is really, really dominant. Like, yes, it can... is really, really oh, fast. Okay. Yes, I'll admit there is a significant gap between Red Bull and the rest of the field. Mm. But I'm saying there is plenty of opportunities for other teams oh, to win yeah. races because they're closer than you know other teams were to Mercedes at the height of their powers, and they didn't manage to do it. Matt. Well, if we're going to discuss a historical dominance in a single season, I didn't want to. It's got to be the McLaren that won all but one race back in the was the MP44. I can't remember which one. Eighty eight. No, but, and by the way, for the and, record, no, this wasn't a topic. But by all <laughs> means, let's start scrolling through Wikipedia. Uh, but no, is the Red Bull that dominant? Well, it might actually wind up being. But is it that dominant? beating competitors that are on equal pace with it? No, no. Everybody else, Mercedes and, oh my gosh, Ferrari, have absolutely dropped this ball. So there will be that asterisk attached to it. And I, I think that's probably what we're arguing about here. Well, I, I think it's more about the, the performance of the actual Red Bull and and was it a faultless weekend by Max? Well, the, the stats show it, but he's got the car and he's in the mindset that 
he doesn't need to do one. He's still willing to get his elbows out like we saw in T1 and risk uh, a five second time penalty uh, for going for fastest lap because his engineer even went, no, don't go for it. Like we don't want to risk anything. He's still going for every point that matters. And I think what's important here is that it's, it is a shame that we don't have really a proper championship fight. The The championship is already out of Perez's control. He needs a few DNFs. He needs Max to have a couple of bad weekends, but he doesn't seem to be having that. Even if he has a poor weekend, what, he's going to stick it on seconds because his teammate's mm. going to beat him? But yeah, um, they don't need to be, uh, both of them, performing at 100% to win races at the moment because they are... They do have that advantage. Okay, well, look, so far we've seen Red Bull only kind of pushing each other. And, you know, a lot of Perez's wins have come from when Verstappen was, you know, messed up qualifying. Uh, Perez has had no competition from Perez where when he, sorry, Verstappen has had no competition from Perez when he stuffed it in qualifying. Where did he put it in the gravel? I, I forget. He put it in the gravel in one of the races and ended up missing Q3. Then he's hit the wall in qualifying for Monaco. And and then he's messed up qualifying again here in Q2. Um, so apart from them challenging each other, they've not really been any under any pressure out, out at front. So if Mercedes do get a package together and get a little bit closer, so they're genuinely in Red Bull's pit window, they start throwing in some undercut attempts. They start being good enough on the tyres that the overcut becomes a worry. Then we'll see. We'll see how they react then. Because so far, Red Bull in two seasons or a season and a quarter, they've not really had to make a decision. They've not had to make a call. And we did see with the Mercedes dominance in 19 and 20, when suddenly they had Verstappen and Red Bull pushing at their door, they made a few errors. You know, the, the pit stop mistakes started creeping in. They started being found to be overcautious on those snap safety card decisions. So I don't think it's completely beyond the pale that Mercedes, who stated, who have stated that they've got upgrades coming to every race, will make up that gap. Because do we have faith? We have faith, don't we, that the punishment for the cost cap will start to kick in at some point. So look, we could be looking at a mid-season where things turn over on the head, Matt. And, you know, there's one DNF from Verstappen, a couple of mistakes under pressure. 50 points in a 23-race season can flip like that. Are you game on? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think... The idea that Red Bull is a lock to win every single race this whole season isn't confirmed yet because we don't know the full extent of how the cost cap will be affecting and the penalty Red Bull. And we have certainly heard from unnamed sources that it already kind of is in certain ways in terms of the decisions about what they choose to develop and where they spend their resource. And as we get closer to the summer, they're going to be even more under pressure because they also have next year's car to consider. So by the time we get, again, this is why I picked Brazil, we get close to the end of the season and we have a full season of Mercedes under massive development versus a Red Bull that is trying to do just enough to stay ahead. We could have some genuinely interesting racing the last part of the year if it works out the way it's supposed to. But that means Mercedes has to get it right. And that means the cost cap penalty has to actually really bite as much as we sort of kind of hope it will. Okay. Any hope for Perez? Any hope for Perez? Some qualifying results obviously not gone his way. Uh, interesting one from Helmut Marco was, yeah, it was, a, it was a bit of a challenge at the beginning, challenge from Perez. And then he said, uh, this is Helmut Marco, very odd comment. Now the situation has resolved itself. What? How has that resolved itself? 
Helmut Marco making very odd comments? No. <laughs> Matt. Well, I, I don't know if you caught this comment, um, but apparently Perez has been attempting to emulate, to a certain extent, Max's driving style. Oh, dear. To get more out of the car. Now, this makes sense to a certain extent if you're Perez, because obviously the car is being um, tailored to how Max likes to drive it. And if you yes. want to, if you want to pursue a championship, and this is why I bring it up, if you want to pursue a championship, you're going to have to learn how to drive the car like Max drives it in order to push him. Otherwise, you just get the odd race where everything falls into the way you like to drive and you can maybe win or you can be there or thereabouts. So from Perez, I actually think it shows, if this is an accurate reporting, this shows a real mentality that he is 100% going after this. So you might not believe it. I might not believe it. But it's pretty clear to me, Perez thinks it's close enough that he still believes it. And that's what's going to matter as we move through the season, because until or unless Mercedes get close, Perez is the only person who's going to make the battle for the lead interesting. Scott. My my only worry for Perez is a certain Daniel Ricciardo waiting in the wings. And that's not, and I know Spanish is going to jump in and have a go at this. Yeah, but it's not Danny. The, the, him from now to the end of the season, it's not so much his title challenge. It's whether or not if he's going to stay within a reasonable distance points wise from Max while they've got no challenger. And if Mercedes come in and he starts not being that, wingman or at least coming into play for wins and helping Max, even though he's trying to fight for a championship, they've got someone who Max gets on absolutely brilliantly with. The team seem to love him. They're gushing over him every single time. They're asked about him in interviews, ready to step in there. And even then, you've got the likes of Lando Norris, who is sitting there in a McLaren that he's not happy mm. with, who who gets on really well with Max. So, I don't know. I feel like this might be last chance saloon for Perez and we could maybe see a driver change at the end of the year, regardless of what happens. So yeah, you guys, you know, I'm a, a big Perez fan, but I'm starting to get the vibe. And this is coming from Red Bull management that this, this might be Perez's last season. I, I think the, the closer he gets to threatening Verstappen, the more under pressure his position has actually become. So last season, he was, he was doing well at the start of the season, signed a contract, then won Monaco in those circumstances, and that kind of locked him in uh, this season. I, I think maybe it did look a little bit too close uh, for comfort, comfort, and you don't know what's going on in the background. You get the feeling they would like a number two, maybe someone younger coming through who is looking to just be there to be the number two and learn and not have ambitions at King toppling until Verstappen decides to go and be the uh, Kaplunk champion instead uh, but i think the name being banded around is yuki sonoda so i'm going to go out there and make an early call yuki sonoda for that red bull seat for 2024 it's not going to be daniel ricardo they 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 got him in for marketing he's doing a good job there he's going to be 34 years old next season they said in the sim we've seen some weird stuff his driving style's gone odd they're not going to start and rebuild him they're not going to robocop daniel ricardo at 34 years old sonoda's the future Anyone else want to come in on that or should we move on? Uh, kind of makes sense. Either that or Nick DeVries leaves and Liam Lawson comes in. He's clearly been G'd up to come in next year, I think. So, yeah, I reckon it could be a little merry-go-round in the Red Bull um, seats next year. Looking forward to it. Nice, move on. 
Dad, do we have to? Yes, you've got to eat your Ferrari before you can have the good stuff. No, no, no. Talking about Ferrari is good for you. It provides vitamin D or something or plan F or plan A. Ferrari, who wants to go? Who's the biggest Ferrari fan? I don't think we've got an out-and-out Ferrari fan here, but who would consider themselves Ferrari adjacent? A well-wisher. Okay, who doesn't oh, Who doesn't actively yeah. wish Ferrari harm? So that's my hands down. I, I uh, like Ferrari. <laughs> okay, go on then, Chris. Find a silver lining in whatever the hell that was. I can't. I, th- I genuinely can't. I mean, what a mess of a weekend. And the biggest confusion of all is what on earth is going on with Charles Leclerc's car, where it suddenly has no pace in qualifying, goes absolutely nowhere in the race. There's not a re- single redeeming feature on that car at the moment. It doesn't It doesn't look after its tyres. It's clearly not got enough downforce. It's not exactly a killer in a straight line either. And uh, Leclerc's obviously having a very tough time driving it. And Sainz only went backwards after looking pretty punchy in the opening stages of the race. Uh, so first of all, I have to say this is the race where Ferrari, Ferrari clearly fulfilled the terms of the prophecy whereby corporate management medals replaces the team principal and they wind up in fourth place. That has clearly wow. happened. Are you, you're describing like a wicker man kind of thing where we have the annual... Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, I don't want to continue that analogy. That's too bad. But I would now like to welcome all Ferrari fans to Copium Corner, where I dangle the golden bait of hope for those of you who are losing faith. And what I have to say to you is very simple. Mercedes now has predictability and handling is something Ferrari is still chasing. And the good news for you is that it was a very, 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 very big update that Ferrari brought. And it may be over the course of the next couple of weekends, they understand it better and enough to begin to uh, follow the same path as Mercedes. The engine is good, the drivers are good. It's not as done a deal as this weekend made it seem. I would love to just take Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc out for a round of golf and a few pints afterwards to just go, lads, come on, what's happening? Because those two are publicly now just kind of not giving two hoots because Carlos Sainz has openly come out and gone, at time management and Deg is shocking Charles Leclerc has no idea what is going on and it just seems like it's a mess and with a big upgrade package this week it clearly did it moved them backwards I know you can argue obviously Mercedes has moved themselves forwards but they were barely in front of Aston Martin and then there was a possibility that as we've discussed they could have even beaten them but yeah it's um it's a very odd situation there at the moment uh, yeah, my, my response to that would be, you say it moved them backwards, but if I look at the Saturday qualifying, it, it seemed like they were pretty quick overall. At least, I mean, yeah, I know Lewis and the new wing and everything, Mercedes might have been faster, but Ferrari has been a single lap car. Yeah. And I feel like the developments haven't significantly ruined that for them. The question is whether or not they can bring the consistency to the race that Mercedes obviously now has with their updates. Yeah, you made the point there that they are a single lap car because they're able to just switch their tyres on so quickly. But that, I'm sure, 
of course, you don't want to lose your performance in qualifying. You don't want to sacrifice one for the other, but I'm pretty sure they would sacrifice some qualifying performance to perform better in the race because they've, yeah. they've got no hope at the moment. I mean, yeah. Charles was just, I mean, God knows what was going on with his car. Um, there's lots of theories in regards to he was struggling to turn left. Um, every left-hand corner of the car just wasn't reacting to what he wanted to. And what I thought was quite bizarre was that on the Saturday night, they opened up his car, they broke par ferme, which is why he started from the pits. And yet they openly said, we still don't know what was wrong with his car. We acknowledge that there's something wrong, but we don't know what, which is a little bit disconcerting, especially if you're Charles Leclerc. I've got a guess. Didn't they start Friday with the upgrade only on Sainz's car? And then I guess overnight on Friday, they also put that on Leclerc's car or they did it between they, one and two. And, and it was and it was working OK in on, on the Friday, that upgrade. It, it just to me, it's max of if you make that bigger change over the course of a tightly packed weekend, then you're at risk of a, a finger fault, you know, putting something in that causes a, a latent failure. And I think both you and Chris and Matt had theories. I think, Matt, you were saying it was to do with the arb or, or the roll bar or something you, you suspected. Well, that was actually that came from uh, Brad. He thought the torsion bar was Ah, at fault for it. But, I mean, it could also be just a cracked chassis. It wouldn't be the first time damage to the chassis has concealed unpredictability in driving. And, you know, I I mean, look, the strategy, stuff like that, I I have no real answer for Ferrari. But in, in terms of the actual car and the development of it, well, it's a big development. It just showed up today. Let's at least give them a few weekends before we decide that they've gone entirely the wrong direction. Although, again, in terms of the prophecy, it wouldn't surprise me if they had. Stuffy, on your round of golf, I think you need to take the signs. Is, is it Leclerc's engineer, Zavi? I was just about to mention him. The, the we are how, I, I'm sorry. How's that man still got a job? Oh, uh, that's I, harsh. That's harsh. No, well, he is. He doesn't air confidence whatsoever. No, I'm sorry. If I'm Charles Leclerc... I'm sitting there going, what are you going on about? Listen to me. Like, just every single word that comes out of his mouth, bless him. It just seems out of his depth and he doesn't know what to say. He's like, he's probably looking along the pit wall going, what do I say? Well, I maybe, well because... also, we don't know. Well, look, this is, this is not a football podcast. We don't tend to, like, call for people's heads here. No. But, like, that's, that's your West Ham showing through, Stuffy. Well, yeah, my East End, eh? Yeah, get rid of him. What's he doing? He's, of, he's having a laugh. He's a joke. Uh, but you're you're not wrong that they don't exude <laughs> confidence over the over the pit wall. Not that we should have his head. Uh, and even signs, you know, he's questioning everything. They're saying to him, "You need to hurry up." Signs are like, "No, the pace is good for this strategy." Um, and it feels like actually, you know, later on they disagreed as well. They wanted him to pit to mediums. He was saying why, and then he kind of gave up questioning it. But all through that, the pit wall were racing Ferrari. Signs was racing for protecting the fourth place. So like they really didn't, they weren't on the same page at all. I, I just think even if Ferrari disagree with the driver's suggestions and you hear it with um, Lewis and George in regards to Mercedes and um, Red Bull as well, the engineers come back with authoritative and confident statements that no, this is the right yeah. decision. Yeah. We're doing this because of this reason. They never do that with the Ferrari drivers. They kind of go, and oh, the, okay. So, yeah. yeah, it's like yeah. they're trying to play a balance and act. Well, we yeah. don't want to upset you, but yeah. it's not the right decision. No, like 
be authority. You have to put your foot down at some point. Yeah, sorry, I think I was saying, yeah. Exactly. So, so Ferrari yeah. thought they were racing the Mercedes, basically, Matt, and, and signs looked to be a bit more realistic. And he was saving his tyres for that Perez fight. And maybe the, the pit will really cost signs, you know, a place in the end because they were getting him to to chew up his tyres and then come in for pits to pit for mediums where he was trying to save his tyres and go long so he'd have something in hand to, to fight the Red Bull coming through. Yeah, so there wouldn't be that tire offset. And the medium tire, why did it never wind up on Charles Leclerc's car? I think what we see with Ferrari is he, he certain... asked for it. Sorry, Matt. I think I think Leclerc asked for it and they ended up putting him on hards. I think, I think the softs. The softs. Sorry. It's okay. I think we see an inflexibility in Ferrari. I think we see issues with weather prediction. I mean, honestly, you should just listen to Red Bull radio because they're like, okay, now it's raining in turn five. Now it's raining. It just, they could save a lot of money, get rid of their meteorologists and just listen to Red Bull radio. That was from Monaco. Uh, but, but the medium tire was there. It was obviously a usable tire because the temperatures on the track were dropping a lot. So you had similar-ish to soft tire performance, but longer tire life. And they just... They just whiffed it. They didn't even consider it because someone in Marinello made the choice yesterday, based on probably an incorrect weather forecast, that the medium tire would be unusable and it was never thought about again. Feels and, like and that me. is a problem. Feels like to me, again, it's the age-old Ferrari thing that we say, and I'd love to know how right I am about this. I, I do feel like Ferrari, you know, up and down from driver down to, to pit crew, it just feels like everyone's operating in a an atmosphere of fear and not wanting to mess up, and you can you can get choked on that. If you don't have the freedom to fail into a safe place, you end up failing a lot harder through not being able to express yourself and not trying. Okay, so another disastrous weekend for Ferrari. Uh, a few teams did kind of look a little bit healthier. Chris Stevens at Chris on Racing, McLaren. Like we yeah. we we sort of. We really didn't want to damn them with faint praise. But if you qualify P3, you get a little bit of praise. Yeah, absolutely. But it was a bit of a sort of a damp squib, wasn't it? Uh, not really representative of, of where they are. I mean, props to them. It's still a massive 180 from where they were at the start of the uh, season. But even Norris was not expecting to, to, to even be in the points, uh, despite qualifying where he did, such as the pace of uh, that car at the moment. Yeah. And it was actually the, um, amazingly, the Alpha Tauris who were the ones sort of scratching away at their lower points paying positions, which is amazing considering that they had one of the worst cars on the grid a few races ago. Matt? Uh, yeah, well, I would agree. Were it not for the penalty that Tsunoda collected. Um, you mean uh, that, it, that ridiculous, unjustified, completely irrational penalty? So you've got an opinion on it. I, I missed all that, Chris. What happened? Oh, man. Let me let me preface let me preface this by saying that Sonoda basically did less than what Verstappen did on the opening lap. Right. But Guan Yu Zhou decides he's gonna bail out oh, I did by see going oh, by going across There the, was a penalty the, for that the runoff. That was no. what it was. Oh, right. No? Stuffy? No, oh, come on, come on, Stuffy. Please, no. please enlighten me. Did you see how close they were and how Sonoda eventually moved over to the outside? Yes, Max carried more speed. But that is a pure case of the fact that just because there was no contact, because one driver decided to save his car from a collision, 
when he was rightfully in front and entitled to a cards whip on the outside. He was not in front. He was in front. <laughs> do not, do he not was in front. front. He was totally in front. By, I'm by, by what? This. A whisker? Well, in front, in front, matter. Chris. Sorry, VAR. It doesn't matter if your knee's offside, oh, really you're offside. Don't and... give me your football rubbish. <laughs> he's footballing us again. Like, he was, he was in front. He's entitled to a cars with. And I'm fed up. A little rant. I'm fed up of cars on the inside just thinking they can yeah, no, take the apex yeah. as quickly as possible. Joe took the escape road correctly. was inches away from losing his front wing because of Sonoda carrying too much speed and being later on the brakes and rightfully so, got a penalty. It's harsh because Sonoda deserved a points finish. He drove tremendously. But in that situation, he deserved a penalty. Well, I'm fed up of drivers deciding to bail out into an escape road the second they get close you to another car. Want, you just want the drama. Yeah. I know no, you're about I don't. Russell. Genuinely, you want to see... If... Hang on, hang on. Russell clearly made the precedent that you can just drive onto the escape road, overtake Piastri and not get any penalty. So I, if he can do it, why can't Joe do it? Uh, Matt? Look, if, oh. if, if, science, if science can back out and slip in behind Verstappen, why couldn't Joe do that? Anyway, that's fine. Matt, no, Matt, calling's calling it. I'm calling it, Matt. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to go with Stuffy on this one. Oh, I looked shocker. at the onboards. On. I looked at the onboards. I looked at the camera angles. And I will just tell you that if I had seen what Joe saw based on the camera angle into turn one, I would have done exactly as he did. I think the TV direction killed us a little bit because they switched to the oncoming shot after Joe reacted to how close Tsunoda was on the entry to turn one. And so people got a mistaken impression of, oh, there was, he wasn't really that close. But no, no, no. He really was that close. And as far as Russell goes, well, I hate to say it, I looked at that one too, and he came back out pretty much where he went whoa, whoa, off. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So uh, if he by... was entirely <laughs> correct in what he did. If by pretty much you mean a place, a full place ahead, then yeah. He was like, he made up room on the outside and he only put himself alongside Sainz and Piastri by being fast enough into that corner to be in a position where you couldn't make that corner normally. So like the only reason he was there was because he sort of, you know, let loose and kind of dived down the outside and then, oh, I can't make it now. So I'll go down the escape road. And then he still came out in front of one of those two cars in that battle. So I don't understand like that. Like it's 3D thinking. He's a clever lad. But he's put himself in a battle that he couldn't naturally have made the corner in, gone, oh, I need to go into the escape road and come out in the middle of that battle. He came out between Hulkenberg and Joe. The three of them made up a load of places because the people on the inside got concertinaed, mm. but he was the furthest back yeah, of yeah. them. And the two of them came over and he really did have no place to go. Mm. He followed the rules. He jumped on the road, went around the ballers. He came back out and he did... He did get in front of yeah. Joe, but he was still behind Hulkenberg. I think that's a lesson to anyone now when there's a runoff. Just break much later. As long as you've got a bit of open space in front of you, just break much later. Get yourself <laughs> into a position that you're just alongside like Alonso four it. rows forward. Alonzo <laughs> it. And they'll be like, oh, no, I had to take the escape road. But technically, I'm back where I was when I went off. Lucky. See, if they did just extend that gravel trap, then you would never have this. This would be a non-issue. Mm. Yeah, I was, I'm, not, mm. I'm not saying it wasn't like clever from Russell, but I think that's calculated and that's great, but he should have got a penalty for it. Anyway, all right. I think that's about that. Let's move on to the podium. 
a stellar Formula One Grand Prix. And I, I hope there's no one out there saying there was a lack of entertainment in that Barcelona Grand Prix. That was a, a fairly standard A1 type Formula One race. There was enough intrigue on the strategy where people had to choose and navigate their way through the tyres. And the soft tyre actually making an appearance was reasonably interesting too. Uh, a few people trying to strong arm that and turn it into a one stop unsuccessfully. A couple of people three stopping and that turning out, you know, not to be the way forward. But it was a track reinvigorated finally by the common sense of getting rid of that chicane. Only all the other chicanes to go. But good. I hope you enjoyed the Spanish Grand Prix. I hope you enjoyed our review. Now it's time for us to give out our awards. Let me introduce you to our panel. There's Chris Stevens at Chris on Racing on Twitter. And uh, you can go and follow his his stuff. He's been commentating over at the some kind of tin top race car race. But we'll put a link to it below so people can see you in full animated commentator style. Yeah, man. On uh, the International GT Open. Small commentator I said that. on this year. Mm. And uh, yeah, exactly. Word for word. And uh, not just on Twitter. On Instagram, oh, on TikTok. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I've upped my TikTok game. There I've posted go. two TikToks this year. Okay, we'll, we'll post a link to one or the other of them. But uh, Chris, go and follow I mean, Chris. you don't have to. <laughs> uh, go and follow Chris Stevens at Chris on Racing on, on Twitter. Chris, what do you think was... Uh, oh, we didn't do the bumper. What was your thing of the weekend? <laughs> What's your thing of the weekend, Chris? My thing of the weekend, uh, it has to be the circuit for pushing to have the old layout back with the with the last two corners. Because I think even in, I can't remember if they tested there this year or not, but even like what, before the start of the season, we were just going to have the regular old uh, track again. And then they started pushing for it and they made it work and they made the changes they needed to make. And it's just brought this circuit back to life. And it's, actually really enjoyable not only to to watch uh again but also to you know see the race uh as well so that's got to be yeah Your i know it's the slight low-hanging fruit but it's just it's made such a huge difference stuffy you're e. known as stuffy and it's stuffy with two e's and three y's oh god yeah it's wrong every time yeah double f double f e double y Double F E double Y stuffy. Yeah. And you yep. do sim racing stuff. And now yep. we can see your face during the sim racing because you're not on VR. You're <laughs> on you're on triples. Have you managed to stop the cat turning off your sim equipment during streams? Yes, I now have a protective device called a book over my power button. So, yeah, very sophisticated, guys. You're, uh, you you two are also a, a long suffering owner of a, of a ragdoll kitten. Uh, but yeah, go and check out uh, Scott's work. We will stick that in the show notes below as well. If you're into uh, any kind of racing or sim racing, go and watch that because Scott does sit and pick apart not only the techniques of his driving and stuff, but the the, the thing that I really love is that you're picking through quite a, quite a lot of idiots, you know, in an open <laughs> lobby and you're fairly honest about that and how to deal with them. And you're often like, you know, very conservative as well. You know, like, oh, let them make their mistake. How to avoid idiots. Yeah, I I like to think that I've uh, had plenty of experience now to see accidents coming up. And uh, some people do ask, how did you see that? Through years of experience of crashing myself. So Every yeah. crash was a bow in your quiver. Okay, Scott. Exactly. Who, who gets your Thing of the Weekend award? My Thing of the Weekend is actually George Russell in the cool-down room when asked by Max and Lewis, are you getting on it? 
And he goes, yeah, I'm staying here tonight, so why not? But they meant absolutely oh. nothing in regards to getting on it, in regards to uh, having a good time that night. I think it was something to do with spraying the champagne um, at a certain individual. But yeah, if I had to give it to a racing sense, it would be Lando Norris's P3 because the McLaren has been um, nowhere near a podium attempt uh, this weekend. How old is George Russell? Previously. Mid-20s, 25? 25. Yeah, see if I was a 25-year-old race driver, like, I can't imagine any of them not being in Barcelona, having just got a podium in the Spanish Grand Prix. Of course you're in whatever club or hotspot or discotheque uh, Barcelona has to offer. Yeah, he's been pictured with Alonso a few times, isn't he? There you go. On a night out, <laughs> and he's, uh, he's the eldest on the grid. So Exactly. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, um, let's go to uh, Spanners. Spanners, your thing of the weekend. Where can we catch you on social media? Oh, phew, I don't really like to draw too much attention to myself, but you can look on my Instagram uh, that's uh, Spanners Ready or Richard Ready, I think, on Facebook as well. And at Spanners Ready on, on Twitter. Please follow me. I, I like people following me on social media. Uh, what's my thing of the weekend, you say? Well, I'm going to go ahead and give it to Lewis Hamilton. My goodness. Lewis Hamilton, P2, has been struggling for the last, I don't know, 30 races. Has been absolutely throwing everything at team development. Has been... Uh, allowing extra sensors upgrades on his car to sort sort stuff out. Uh, I think he's been playing an absolutely you know stellar team game, helping push the car forward with development. And this P two, after a season that looked completely lost, I think is absolutely fair reward for all of that. And he was dominant over his teammate this weekend, all through practice, all through qualifying. And if you look at the race as well, he was consistently uh, when they were on the mediums. Uh, maybe say two or three, four tenths a lap quicker uh, on the softs where he was probably even managing quite a lot was consistently at times, uh, you know, nearly a second faster than Russell and had plenty in reserve as well. So Lewis Hamilton back on his game. That's my thing of the weekend. Matt, social media well, things uh, you, promo at at Matt PT 55. You can find me on most social medias there. And, you know, you could always send me an email at missed apex if you prefer that uh, matt mode of at communication missed apex yeah or feedback at missed apex matt gets those two i do indeed um so originally my thing was probably going to be the uh, reconfigured front suspension for mercedes because that looked like a very hard task to pull off and then i thought well no if i say that it should probably be the factory for bringing updates that made the mercedes so competitive but sadly that was all taken out by the actual race where we had George Russell going, it's raining in turn five. And then a few laps later going, oh, wait, guys, I think that's just my sweat on the inside of the visor because I, I just that thoroughly entertained me. So it gets my thing of the weekend. That's amazing. OK, so now we go, uh, Chris, we go to Chris now. Yes, because while we're talking about the positive things and promoting <laughs> our social media channels, mm -hmm. I would just like to say, if you're not already following at Missed Apex F1 on Twitter and TikTok, then you, my friend, are missing out. And if you are one of the 30% of people watching this video that isn't subscribed to our YouTube channel, if you've made it this far, we deserve a subscription. Hit that bell. Not going to lie, that was pretty slick. I, I'm bad at doing that sort of thing. I should always say, like and subscribe, but I just, I, ne I never remember to. Probably because I'm I'm 43 and I'm just not on that kind of stuff. But yes, please, uh, if you like listen to us from our website or you just find us on the Spotify website, please like subscribe to us on your podcatcher. That really really helps 
our download figures, subscribe to us on YouTube and uh, and check out the YouTube if you're a podcast listener and vice versa. If you're mostly a YouTube person, just have it downloaded on your podcast app as well. And then we're there for you if you are suddenly stuck on a train or you're fighting several small duck-sized horses and you find yourself bored. Uh, also, if you want to be a patron, patreon.com forward slash missed apex. Thank you to so many brand new patrons in the last few weeks. We have a patron Slack group. There's a bit of extra content on a Friday before a race and your podcast feed is ad free. So that's all the positivity out of the way. Now let's get on to judging people from our sofas with the missed apex award. Oh no, you missed the apex. All right, Scott. You've already called for the head of one working person this week. And, you know, he's he's going home to his family and he's like, hello, little ones. How are you? And they're like, hey, daddy, what are the podcasts saying about you today? He's like, oh, no, they singled me out. Just me. There will be no extra pasta for the family today. My job is under threat. Uh, but apart from that, <laughs> who is the apex for you? I'm sure we'd get a nice severance package anyway. Um the team and two who missed the apex for me are Haas. Holkenberg in particular, eight wasted. positions wasted. lost. Wasted, wasted, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I mean, they brought upgrades again this week. Another team that actually looked like they were doing okay in practice. And Holkenberg, once again, a decent enough qualifying into Q3. And then they were the only team to try a free stop because their tire management was horrendous, just like their, uh, just like the, the team that they buy their parts off of um, Ferrari. So, yeah, yeah um, they've thrown away a number of good points finishes this year already with, because both of them have had their fair share of making it into Q3. And I don't think either of them have got anywhere near enough points. Uh, Matt, you want to defend Murica? Um, well, wait, was America attacked? Where is my rifle? Uh, I think uh, that is your right. Sorry, okay. I couldn't, I couldn't no. resist. It's not my gun. That's it's, all I'm it's in your religion. It's in the script thing <laughs> that you guys had. Okay. No, if we're talking about who really missed the apex, you might say that it was Haas who had terrible tire degradation, but I'm going to blame Lando Norris for raising the hopes of McLaren fans <laughs> oh, everywhere with his qualifying and then losing 14 places in mm. the race, which I think is even bigger than eight, if I have calculated that correctly. It was it was a mirage, McLaren fans. At best, they were on for a point. So just, I, they have a lot of work to do. That's okay, all so I got to say. I'm going to defend and attack Lando Norris in the, the sweep of a hand. So in his defense, he literally said to everyone, like, no, I'm like, we'll be lucky to get in the points. Like, he said the same thing you're saying, Matt. But also... Whenever we do see Lando Norris really up front with a chance, it, it goes a little bit Hulkenberg, doesn't it? So like when we yep. see him up front with like the, you know, the chance for the win, that chance for the podium, that's when we see, kind of see the mistakes creep in and his best performances have been lower down. Is that harsh? Because I know there's a lot of Lando Norris fans out there. And I, actually, I, I am happy because he used to be so fun and happy. And then he went through a real Mardi phase and he started the season super Mardi. This weekend, all weekend, he seemed really upbeat and happy. So I don't know whatever happened, whatever porridge they're giving him at McLaren, keep giving him that porridge and sprinkles because he seemed kind of back to his bubbly self. So a flip-flop between just completely slating him and, and praising him, I don't know which side I'm, I'm landing on. 
Well, it, it's a tough one because he, he has thrown away a win in the past, arguing with his engineers. He has had some good podium finishes and some great battles and some amazing drives. So, so he, he's, he's a little bit unpredictable, isn't he? Uh, so I'll go before Chris. Chris can end, can end the Missed Apex Awards. But my Missed Apex Award is going to go to uh, Esteban Ocon for trying to absolutely murder Alonso down the straight... What on earth was that blue wrecking ball doing? That was Schumacher-esque. Unbelievable. But we're short of time. We're short of time, so there's no chance for anyone else to respond. No, go on. Stuffy stuffy them, Matt. Go on. I was just going to say, yeah, we've conveniently glossed past Alpine's performance today. I wonder why that may be. Um, (laughs) I was saving it to last. Yeah, no, that was... was dangerous and late and i'm surprised more as more hasn't been made of it post race as well go on matt why was that somehow okay well as the only person here who probably went back and watched alonzo's onboard we watched it uh one i would say that if you watch it from alonzo's onboard it the move wasn't that big the move that ocon started was roughly simultaneous with alonzo's move to go around him and uh, obviously, once Ocon was aware of him there, he did move and leave room for him. And it was before the breaking zone. And you're entitled to one move. But I have, I have a killer argument here. Go on, then. One that you cannot possibly refute, no matter how much you'd like to. And it's very simple. I listened to the onboards to well after that move happened. And you know who never said a thing about that move? <laughs> Alonzo, he never complained about mm. it. And I'm just going to say, if he was unhappy about it, I'm thinking we would have heard something. So in the post-race interviews, he, Alonso definitely didn't make a big deal of that at all. But I don't know, Chris, it just, it seemed really wrecking ball to me. I, I, I see what it's you're saying. TV making drama. It's, I, it's, I don't think, I think you create the drama where if you let the car get within three or four car lengths of you and then you suddenly jink to the right, I think that's what creates the drama. I mean, I think it was, I mean, it was late, it was aggressive, but it was, you know, borderline okay. Uh, but I'm just going to ask, Alonzo was directly behind him. Yeah. How does Ocon know where he is with only side view mirrors until Alonzo moves out? And I think people miss that, but, but he, he would have known that Alonzo was coming and he clearly decided he wanted to be on the inside, but he decided that about the same time Alonzo, who waits to the very last second to pull out, pulled out and it worked out the way it should between two racing drivers who were relatively decent at racecraft i just think it's risky to wait until the last second to pull out that's all chris stevens who missed the apex for you stop sniggering at the back unbelievable chris stevens spanners you're on a you're on a roll this weekend my friend uh (laughs) hang on not not everyone listened to the patron pod so people don't know yeah but Uh, this is a really great advert for it isn't it uh no you're all wrong you are all so sorely mistaken, Again. my friends, Again. because the clear, clear winner of the Mr. Apex Award this week is one Mr. Checo Perez for being so abhorrently far away from that car's potential. Yeah, it's a, yeah, I'm a big Perez fan, and that's probably not particularly unfair. And uh, we have to go now because we do have a strict one hour policy here at Missed Apex Podcast, so we've got to go. But if you want to follow any of our panel, the links are all magically in the show notes below. Go and follow Scott, Stuffy, Tuffy, 
on his iRacing streams, catch up with Chris and all his PR and commentary goodness, catch up with Matt, who blows through a tube that's only got three buttons, and follow that spanners ready fella, he's the best one. Until we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.